Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why did they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women podcast. Triathlon is certainly hard on your skin, without a doubt. That was Teresa Helsel, dermatologist PA and accomplished triathlete. Earlier this year, Teresa came on the podcast to offer skincare advice specific to triathletes. Teresa's two biggest tips were to avoid sunburn and chafing. And luckily, Iron Women podcast listeners get 15% off all Zelio skincare products, including Sun Barrier SPF 45 zinc-based sunscreen and Betwixt Athletic Skin Lubricant and Chamois Cream. Use the code IRONWOMEN at TeamZelios.com for 15% off and use Zelios products to protect your skin during all your swim, bike, run fun. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Hi, Haley. Welcome back to another week with me. How are you doing? <laughs> Alyssa, in all honesty, I've been better. <laughs> I am. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I mean, things aren't aren't terrible, but they're not great. They're not great. I mean, I'm yeah, it's it's yeah, I'm very eh. <laughs> well, with the state of the world these days, I can understand. Eh. I think that's like very understandable state to be living in. Have you, what have you been up to this past week? So right after we finished recording last week, I, I was telling you that Virginia has not a lot of restrictions yet. We're just waiting on them to come. But like, you know, we, people have been following general rules for distancing and staying home anyway. And then I like walk out of the room where I was recording to the announcement of we are at shelter in place until June 10th. So I think we might be one of the furthest like out dates of people um, of states around for shelter in place. But honestly, I think I'd prefer that and then hope it might get lifted sooner, if anything. But I don't know, I guess I kind of appreciated that long term look so that like we can adjust to the reality that like we have probably known in our stomachs for a while. This is going to be a marathon and not a sprint. So we have to pace ourselves. But so that was like. In my world, it, yeah. This is a multi-day stage race, Alyssa. This is not a marathon. I've done plenty of marathons. They're we're carrying much, much a heavy quicker. backpack, as Betty would tell me. <laughs> it's a heavy backpack, multi-day stage race. For sure. You're right. No, you're totally right in saying that. 
but has your life changed at all since it became shelter in place after right after we had got off the phone good point no i feel like i was pretty much adhering to those rules anyway and like i said i'm the place that i live is rural enough and where i generally train i usually train solo and i usually train in very quiet places outside that it hasn't changed too much which is good the most like exciting things in my life this week are one coaching which has been you know it's totally up to my coaching game I feel like because everything is different for my athletes and so it's been fun like rebirth of things I guess in coaching life to sit down and take a new look at things and find new goals with athletes and figure out like unique ways to train for things based on what each athlete has. So I'm trying to throw myself into that as much as I can. And then I did find myself watching the virtual racing that Ironman put on this last weekend, which was a little bit weird to be sitting there watching my peers ride trainers for a few hours, but it passed the time. There were no other sports on. So it was kind of nice. DD uh, Griesbauer and Michael Lovato did a great job with the commentary. I think I would really struggle to commentate women riding on their trainers for hours like that would be that would be hard so they did a really great job and it was impressive um to see what they did there and just kind of fun to check in with people and see what life looks like in this kind of state for others so it was jocelyn mccauley marinda carfrey Jeannie seymour and angela nath right that were racing and i saw jocelyn won what was it? I mean, could you tell what place people were in? Could you were people was the race close? I, I admit I didn't watch it. No one knew a lot of details. We'll say that. I think they did know in the virtual reality, like kind of who was ranked where. And so but it, it was hard to tell because when you look at an avatar on the screen, like I wasn't able to be like, oh, that's Angela's avatar in the front. Right. Like you, you couldn't tell that. I didn't know which one was hers necessarily. And they did have some rankings on the side. But I guess the women were competing, not necessarily for like who won the whole 90K. It was they were just doing some like preems throughout that 90K ride. And so that was what the competition was for them. So it was kind of unique. I don't know if they like came up with these on the fly or had them planned out. But one that I remember was like the 90 seconds, like who has the highest power for 90 seconds or something like that. And so that was just interesting to watch um the different techniques of how people would have gone about that like in their aero bars sitting standing that kind of thing what kind of cadence they're using to generate that power and sort of thing so it was fun to watch it was it's fun to watch people crush themselves so that was definitely done it was a 90k bike because the the ironman virtual race option for anyone that anyone could enter was a 5k run 90k bike half marathon that could be competed over any amount of time but the pro race was just the 90k bike correct yeah yep i believe so and so i think the they the women said that they had done the runs or they were going to do the run at various times during the weekend which i think you can kind of do them whenever you want which is kind of like a unique way to structure your training weekend and do it that way but yeah the run wasn't part of it i thought we were going to watch them run on treadmills too but i was wrong about that so (laughs) That didn't happen. Well, it is a hard one because, as we know, calibration on treadmills or course that you can run or calibration of your power meter is quite subjective. I um, you know, I'm very curious about how they they uh, you know, police for that, I guess. But maybe if it's all just for good fun and um, entertainment, that doesn't matter as much. No, I think so. Yeah, and I they're definitely still ironing out some of the kinks. But, you know, it was like I said, there were really no not a lot of sports on this weekend. And 
So entertainment is, you know, Netflix, movies, and virtual racing, race watching. But I do think, I listened to the If We Were Riding podcast, I think this was a couple weeks ago, where Sarah True thought that the virtual racing meant that we were would be like in goggles, you know, and like in the virtual reality world. And I can't help but thinking, I think that's the way to go with this. Like I would love, I think I could get into it. I can't quite get into it with the Zwift stuff because it's just not my cup of tea. But I think if I could put goggles on and be like in the world, then maybe I could be sold on it. I would be so car sick and like motion sick. I at once I've tried those virtual things and I would it would just be like Haley tries to ride for a little bit and then Haley vomits all over the place. So my career would be very short lived. I would have to probably start uh, looking at other career options. Well, speaking of the virtual riding and indoor racing, we have a pretty massive contest that is coming up or that's happening with Live Feisty for people who might be looking to take place in some of this virtual racing, or maybe you just are embracing the indoor training lifestyle and we can help you out with that because Live Feisty is running a contest currently until Monday the 13th called Pimp Your Pain Cave. That's right. That's only four days from now, Alyssa, that they have to enter, but the entry is really easy, luckily. So if you haven't entered, you have four days from when this comes out. Um, until through Monday, April 13th to enter, you go to uh, the easiest way I think is to go to the at live feisty media Instagram page. And there's a link in the bio or go to our show notes for this episode and you'll see the link right there. But it's a, it's a huge prize. All you have to do to enter is enter your email. And I think once you enter your email, there's like different ways to get more entries, but the prizes, the prizes are worth $3,400. I mean, they include, uh, I mean, there's going to be nine different winners, Alyssa, and it includes a Wahoo kicker, Orca Sonar wetsuit, form goggles, Hoka One One running shoes, Gooder sunglasses, Zilio's sunskin gift package, and a noon hydration package. So, I mean, there's there's some amazing prizes, nine chances to win. Definitely, you if you win any of those, you're going to have quite, quite the nice pain cave. And I do think we are encouraging people to uh, show us your pain cave currently. And just to keep it fun, use that, like, is there a hashtag pimp my pain cave? Maybe I'm making that there up. There should be. Just if, tag, if there's not, why, why, at, why not? <laughs> tag at live feisty media. <laughs> Maybe. I'm gonna like that's gonna be like it some kind of no, dirty. I'm reading now. Use the hashtag pimp my pain cave. So there we go. I mean, I get nervous about anything with like uh yeah, some of the I'm like <laughs> I mean, that's gonna I saw my brain. Can Aaron, can you edit this part out? Um but anyway, it it's gonna great, great prizes and maybe I'm gonna have to shoot a little video of my pain cave so that uh maybe can are we eligible to win? I would like to win any of those things. I'm reading the fine print here and I do not see anything about live feisty podcast hosts not being able to participate. So I think we should, you got to play to win, right? Why not? Yeah, no, I think that is, that's again at live feisty media, Instagram for more details or check the link in our show notes. Very easy, but you only have four days to do it. So get on that. And Alyssa, there's been more fun things going on at Live Feisty. We are hosting some Zoom happy hours, and I actually jumped in on the one last week. We, we thought these were webinars, and then they turned into happy hours. And to be perfectly honest, that did sort of like make me want to join a little bit more. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we apologize to everyone listening last week who maybe didn't jump on the first one because they thought it was a webinar and not a happy hour. <laughs> 
there was there was good information. Coach Marilyn Jacoda was giving us like actual good coaching information. So it there's you know there's value, but I think it's a, it was a little more casual than I had originally in- anticipated, which was nice. You don't necessarily need to be taking notes. You can have a adult beverage or some noon or you know whatever water, um, whatever you want. <laughs> However, you get happiest during your evening hours. But yeah, this week on Friday. At 5 p.m. Pacific time, Sarah Gross from Live Feisty Media will be the special guest. And I don't know exactly what she has in plan, what she'll be chatting about, but it should be great. And if not, it's kind of a good community thing. You know, it's on Zoom. You get to see everyone. You can like message people. And it was actually more fun than I expected. I I had to duck out a little early. So I apologize to everyone. I had to leave. But um, it was a good time for the part that I was there. That's great. And before I forget to say this, that made me think of something I saw on the internet. Cause like, you know how everyone's using zoom. And so of course, like there's all these things about like zoom bombing and like security of zoom and you have to be careful and blah, blah, blah. But then I did read this one thing about how, if you message someone on zoom privately, that message is actually put in the full transcript that's like given after the meeting. And I have no idea if this was like a real thing I saw or not fake news or something like that, that I was reading, (laughs) but I don't know. But you know, as you said, you can message people, but I would just say that might be then downloaded into the final transcript of something that's like shared. Well, you weren't on there, so I couldn't share any like dirty messages because I only send those to you, Alyssa. But um, (laughs) I'm fine. If if anyone did, if any of my private messages got using Zoom, maybe for work, you know, like this just like popped into my head or like family things and you and your siblings are like messaging and then your parents are going to get like the final trans. That would be like a classic Alyssa story. Like me saying something to my sister, what I thought was off the record, and then my mom getting to hear it or like read it later, and it would be like the classic how Alyssa gets caught. I am going to start hosting Zoom meetings just to get the final transcript now. This might be my new self-quarantine project. I'm like, who is silly enough to write bad things about me on my Zoom meeting? I did another Zoom meeting last week at like 6.30 in the morning, and I definitely turned my camera off, so... (laughs) that was uh i was walking the dog while i was doing it and so it would have gotten other people motion sick but yeah you don't have to have an office job to have zoom meetings or zoom happy hours join the live feisty zoom happy hours tomorrow at 5 p.m pacific 5 p.m pacific with sarah gross you you do have to sign up though to get the zoom link you have to sign up you go through the at live feisty media page again and i'm sure there'll be something up there and you can just i think i just put in my email address again and i got the like within i i didn't know i'd make it last week so i did it like five minutes before the actual zoom meeting happened and i got the link in time to join so i think i I think the space is limited i don't know how many people they can have on a call at one time so don't do that if you know you want to be on it don't risk it but hey you know you can always try if you find out five minutes before you're like hey i'm ready for happy hour you could give it a try Haley, we did get a mailbag question in this week and just a reminder people can send in mailbag questions to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com anytime we'll take a stab so this one is about the ironman world championships in kona and the legacy program so tracy has a friend who has completed 13 Ironmans, holy moly, and earned a legacy spot. So in the process of getting those 13 Ironmans, it sounds like she was quite competitive in her age group. She has two top 10s in her age group, 40 to 44, which is a very competitive age group. And 
So she was doing quite well, but, you know, never in basically probably the top spot, which was getting the world championship spot each time and trying and trying, got 13 Ironmans, got a legacy spot. So apparently for 2020, they are making a new division at the world championships for legacy athletes with their own wave, which means that they will not be eligible for age group awards, age group rankings, and they will start separately with legacy athletes, other legacy athletes after the age groupers. So she is curious about our opinion on this as to why this could be happening now. Um, we both are coaching and we both know that athletes often are, you know, trying for those slots all the time and are coming so close and um, ultimately do decide to take a legacy spot instead of continuing to chase that qualifying spot. So it's a bit, you know, she sees it as a bit heartbreaking for athletes to be told like they'll be racing in a separate division and not with the the whole field at world championships. So she thinks that maybe we should change the allotment of spots to take the top two in each age group, male and female, and not base it proportionally on the number of starters as it is now. So Tracy, I would say that last piece that you had about changing the allotment of spots is definitely something I have been a fan of for years now. I think, you know, many people know me initially as someone who started the 50 women to Kona movement with pro athletes and trying to get equal spots in the pro ranks. But over the last couple of years, we have been doing work as well to try to, you know, encourage Ironman to do equal spots for age groupers and pros, because like you said, the female athletes often face this dilemma of like continuing to race and race to race. And often, I mean, there's women who get second and third in their age group every time they race and will never get to Kona because there's only one spot in that age group, um, just based off of the proportional number. So I am a big fan of making, you know, top whatever in each age group, male and female across the board being, you know, qualifiers. But that is, I think, not something that we will see on the horizon anytime soon. So other than that, I guess, I don't know. Haley, what's your opinion on kind of the the other question here about a separate division? Yeah, this is a, it's a more involved question than I thought. And I did a little Googling cause I, I think I was aware of this, but I hadn't really like read about it. And my questions, I, I, my research kind of ended up giving me more questions just that there are so many different ways to qualify for Kona. I mean, yes, there is the get a slot in your age group. Then there is the legacy slot, which is is quite hard because you have to do 13 Ironmans and then get on a wait list and it can take years and years. And then there's people who get in with sponsor uh, slots. I mean, sponsors get a certain number of slots. There's people who fundraise to get in. There's the physically challenged and the executive challenge. And so I, I understand why some of those have separate categories, you know, why physically challenged and executive challenge might be in a separate category. Military, I think sometimes their rankings is a separate category, but I don't know sponsor, like our sponsor people in a different category, our fundraiser people in a different category. So those were the kind of the questions I came up with. And in general, I mean, I don't, I don't know why legacy would be in a different category unless they wanted to be in a different category. Like if it was like, Oh, here's the legacy winner, <laughs> but um, it doesn't sound like that's what's happening. So I, I don't understand a lot of what Iron Man does and why they do it. And I have not talked to anyone from Iron Man and asked about the rationale. And I would just say for, for this case, for Tracy, for her friend, like 
you are still going to get to race in Kona. You're still going to get to have that experience. And so enjoy that experience. I mean, it's, it's going to be amazing. And it sounds like her friend is competitive enough that this probably will not be her only Kona. She will probably get another chance and maybe she will get a chance to also use her voice sometime and ask these questions and, and speak out and she'll have had this experience and she can use herself as kind of an example of why the system isn't perfect. Great answer, Haley. So Tracy, hopefully we at least gave some insight or opinion there. I don't think we had the complete answer, but definitely something if you wanted a more complete answer, I would, like Haley said, encourage you to reach out to someone in Ironman, have that conversation, let them know. I mean, I think the more people who raise these questions to them, definitely the better as they are moving forward and will be making decisions for the future. And anyone else who has questions, we will take our best stab or at least offer our opinion. Ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. Our mailbag is always open. And Haley, we have a great interview for our listeners today as well. Why don't you tell us about it? Most of our audience was already introduced to Sarah Bishop via our Ironman Live event that happened just before the U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials just over a month ago, Alyssa. It really wasn't that long ago, but Sarah was a big hit with the crowd in Atlanta. So by popular demand, we brought her on for her own show all about her. She doesn't have to share any of the spotlight with me, but um, except for me asking her questions. The rookie pro and marathon champion and mom of four girls talked to us about her race at the trials and the weeks leading up to that race. And she also shares some of her unconventional plans that she's put in place since the delay of her Ironman distance debut, which was just supposed to happen in a couple of weeks at Ironman, Texas. Obviously that's not happening, but Sarah has, she has a plan B and it's quite entertaining <laughs> and unusual, unconventional. So we do want to give you all a heads up that uh, as you probably know, the worldwide internet is a little bit maxed out right now. So Sarah's audio quality is a little rough, but perfection is not what we're going for these days. So hopefully you can still enjoy Sarah's enthusiasm and her message, even with a less than perfect delivery. We'll have our conversation with Sarah right after the break. Okay, Alyssa, imagine you're stranded on a deserted island and you have to pick one thing to drink for the rest of your life. What would you choose? Haley, I think I'd have to go with Noon Sport watermelon flavor. Nice choice. Personally, I'd opt for the Noon Endurance lemon lime flavor because in my deserted island fantasy, I'm still getting in regular 90 minute workouts. That sounds totally reasonable. The good news is that all Noon Hydration products are made with clean, quality ingredients that are good for your body and the planet. So if you ever find yourself on a deserted island, or maybe just in the middle of a really long training day, you'll be thankful that Iron Women podcast listeners get 30% off all Noon Hydration purchases by using the code IRONWOMEN at NoonLife.com. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi, Haley. It's good to see you again and talk to you guys again. It is again because we saw you just three weeks ago in Atlanta at the Iron Women Live event leading up to the U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials. And yes, it was only three weeks ago, but life has changed drastically since then for all of us. How are you doing? We are hanging in there. I guess that's the only way to describe it. Um, adjusting to the new normal the best we can and kind of just taking it day by day. I think like most people, you know, 
And how about training? Are you, are you able to go outside? Are you on the treadmill and the trainer? And I'm assuming you don't have a pool. Most people don't. Yeah. So I'm still running outside, um, doing some biking outside and some biking on the trainer, just like I used to. Um, so that part of my training hasn't changed at all, but I'm not, I'm not swimming. You know, I had just started really trying to focus on the swim now that the trials were over. So I hadn't been swimming. I hadn't really swam much, you know, since the fall, but yeah, now that you know, the pools are closed, I'm just, you know, concentrating on bike and run. But other than that, you know, I coach online. So my daily routine isn't too disrupted, except that the kids are home. <laughs> full time now. So we have to find a balance between, you know, teaching the kids a little bit, doing some of their schoolwork and trying to keep them entertained. But at the same time, Brian and I, my husband and I still are working and training and just kind of figuring all of that out. And so speaking of family and kids, Sarah, at the live event, you made a comment about the fact that you do have four kids. And I think that there was an audible gasp that came from the audience at that point, because people were just just so shocked that not only are you competing at this elite level and doing these great things, but you have four kids that you're managing to wrangle on a day-to-day basis, right? So do you get that reaction a lot? And then we do want to hear a little bit more about the homeschooling. But first, you know, how is it when people (laughs) gasp when they find out that you have four kids? Right. You know, um, it's so interesting to me because I don't think it's a big deal. And, and, and I think people have that reaction because a lot of us are still stuck in this gender role mindset where women take care of the kids and do all the cooking and do all the child rearing, you know, which is a lot, you know, and then men work and do the other stuff. <laughs> but my husband and I split everything 50-50. I mean, we've both always pretty much worked full-time. I mean, I've only been coaching online for a couple of years. So before that, I was working eight to five, eight to six in office. And so was he. And we both are training. He just bought a gravel bike. And so he likes to do two hours of exercise a day too. And while, you know, I'll do the laundry and actually he does the cooking. So everything is completely split 50-50. So when people gasp, like, oh my gosh, you have four kids. I feel like a fraud almost like, no, like we have four kids together. You know, we both are taking part in rearing the kids so we can both do things that we enjoy ourselves. Um, so it's, it is interesting to me because nobody would have that reaction for an elite male training full time that has four children as well. Nobody, you know, I mean, Jared Ward, you know, is a favorite for the, for the team with the Olympic trials. He has four kids. Nobody would ever know, you know, it's just so strange to me. It's, but it's just still the society we're living in, but things are changing. And so with them at home now and the homeschooling, are you guys splitting the homeschooling duties 50-50? Does one have like oh my God. math and science and one has history and, you know, well, I don't even know, language. English. Studies, language or English. <laughs> Clearly you can tell what my favorites were. <laughs> I tell you what, Alyssa, I mean, we are trying, but it is kind of going, but not really. <laughs> So we will do, I mean, so Brian said, okay, I said, somebody has to be the teacher and somebody has to be the principal. And Brian said, well, you're the teacher and I'm the principal. And I said, well, that's okay. Cause I know who's going to be handling the kids more, right? <laughs> principal got He's sending to the principal. But you know, um, we're doing a lot of stuff that they, you know, the, the worksheets and, and stuff that they brought home from what I'm seeing from other homeschool teachers, they're saying, you know, it's not six hours of schooling a day when you're homeschooling. It's like an hour 
maybe, you know, an hour and a half. And, and I'm finding that like they do their work and it takes 30 minutes and you're like, okay, we're done. <laughs> you know, so uh, we're still navigating that. Like we are doing enough, but there is no structure in my home. <laughs> there is no structure in my home. And, but I, it's actually me. I'm doing most of the homeschooling with them, trying to, and um, Brian's still uh, working pretty hard on his thesis and such. Uh, but we're just taking it. We're taking it day by day. We do a little bit here and there. And then we tell them you, you go a lot of outside time, you know, some screen time, a lot of screen time. And we're just kind of figuring it out as we go. Essentially that I think either this week or next week, the school will start sending out emails with more detailed instructions on online programs and school assignments online that they need to complete. So that I think will help give us some more structure. But right now we've had like catastrophe days and then it's been been a whole lot of structure, homeschooling structure in my house yet. But we're we're getting we're getting there. But like I said, it's like I'm not a structured person and we're just trying to survive right now. And it's it's we're doing but nothing like totally crazy. Yeah. So in Atlanta, you had talked a little bit about preparing for your first Ironman, which was going to be Ironman Texas. Of course, Texas has since been postponed and your debut at the distance is pretty up in the air right now. So you recently plans on your Instagram account. So can you tell us a little bit about those plans? Oh my gosh. I'm so bummed. I'm so bummed, Haley, that Ironman Texas. I'm not holding out a lot of hope for Tulsa. It's what it is, you know, but it's kind of like I was thinking, okay, so what now, you know, a lot of my athletes, what we're doing is, you know, we can take down the training to 50%, 75%, some are training at 30%, some are at hundred percent, just kind of depends on what they want to do that keeps them happy right now. For me, I'm really excited about, you know, doing a full distance Ironman. I feel like I was coming off this great marathon training. And finally I was like getting like physically and mentally more mentally ready to do it than anything. And so I want to continue trying to do the training to build for the race. And even if the race doesn't happen, I decided, okay, I'm still going to try to do something similar in practice. Maybe, you know, like a race, like a full Ironman race effort, even if I can't do, you know, participate in the actual race itself. So I've decided that even if Tulsa is canceled at this point, because that's what, that's, I have my eye on Tulsa. It hasn't been formally canceled yet at the end of May, but it probably will be that I'm going to do hundred mile bike at, you know, at close to Ironman pace effort. And then at least a 20 mile run after that at Ironman effort, which is something I probably would have tried to build up to anyway, just because I've not done the distance yet. So I, and I might do the full distance. I might do 112 miles on the bike and 26 mile run. We'll just have to see. But I thought, okay, I just need something to intrinsically keep me motivated to keep training or else I'm just going to go through the motions. I'm going to lose interest. You know, uh, I won't have, it won't, I won't have any reason to, to continue training at the level I'm at. So I've decided that that is what's going to keep me excited and motivated to continue training, even if Ironman Tulsa doesn't happen. So, yeah. Are you going to like invite other people to virtually race with you? Are you going to make yourself a medal, a t-shirt, anything like that? Or are you just like, no purist, just getting it done. Even if I'm the only one who knows I'm good with that. 
Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. You know, it's just one of those things, like, uh, I just want to see if I can, it's going to be, you know, it won't be in real time, because even if I, if this pool, and I will do the swim, too, but I would have to drive to the home, you know, so this is going to be a 20-minute transition, right? And then um, I'm going to do the bike on the bike path which is a question for me because I do a lot of my training there, but I have to go through intersections and I'm going to start and stop my watch because I want to make sure that I'm getting in the, like as close to kind of what I would do, you know, race effort that I would do in the race. Now the round wheel chart will be true distance because if you're slowing down through an intersection, it's not going to cost me as much time or speed as it would on a bike. So it's not going to be like this true, like, you know, race, you know, like, like an, if you were an actual Ironman, but it's going to be as close to an effort as possible. That'll make, that'll satisfy me as an athlete that doing all this training is for something, you know, at least in the short term right now. I, I just wish we could like get this on Instagram live and maybe a list and I could have a gig, like commentating on Sisha doing her race. I want, I want Brian to like ride his bike next to me for the run, at least, you know, something like that. Or maybe I'll do, maybe I'll, you know, have a little Instagram between like events between the, the swim and the bike and the run telling you how I'm doing and how I'm feeling because it's going to be really interesting, <laughs> you know, going the distance, um, or at least most of it, uh, cause I've never done it before. So yeah, maybe I, maybe we'll try to do something like that though, where at least I'm kind of trying to broadcast it in some way. <laughs> well, I love it, Sarah. I feel like it's hard to find people truly after my own heart finding just like creating their own challenges like this that are like so wacky that no one else is really going to want to necessarily partake in that, but we will all virtually <laughs> right. spectate it if it's available. Why not? For sure. Why so, not? Um, I mean, yeah, it's like everyone's cup of tea is a little different, I guess, but this is going to be amazing. So as much as I want the races to come back on, I also am excited to hear <laughs> about how that all turns out for you. Right. Um, but going back to the trials, yes. you've been a regular on the Ramblin' Runner podcast over the last year and chronicled your journey to the Olympic trials, even with a very emotional, touching episode that you recorded the night after the trials. So what was it like to do that? Because as I was listening and thinking about it, I imagine it's kind of like therapeutic, actually, to be able to have a little reflection time every so often. But I could also see this being really overwhelming because you're opening yourself up to the masses and their opinions. So what was your Mm -hmm. experience in doing that? Yeah. So before the race, you know, I had been doing the Rambling Runner Road to Olympic Trials series, kind of detailing my journey to the trials. And so before the race, uh, like a week before the race, we had decided, Matt and I, that I was going to do a recap on um, Monday night. So that's two days after the trials. So I went to the trials and I had this you know, all the, the whole experience. And it was really overwhelming in a lot of ways, emotionally for me, especially with my kids being there. And I just didn't expect the to feel the emotions I was feeling, you know, and then, you know, the race didn't go end, but like all these people were there yelling and cheering for me. And it was just this crazy experience. After the race, I just felt so, over, you know, overwhelmed with emotion, like the whole uh, the whole weekend was just really, really emotional. I met on Saturday after race. I said, can we please do this recap on Sunday? I just have so much to just get out. Like I just needed to like process it and I just needed to get everything out, you know? And he was like, yeah, sure. We can do it on Sunday. So we did it that night. And like, I just, just let 
all of my emotions out. You know, I just didn't hold back and I just wanted, I just wanted, I wanted to do that, you know, for myself, for my kids, but also for everyone else, because the whole experience, I think in a nutshell, I felt was so much bigger than me. You know, and it was not only, it wasn't really even about me, maybe it was about my kids and my whole, this whole journey of things I had learned leading up to the trials, all just, you know, accumulating on this one day. And then all these other people out there who were inspired by my journey and everyone else's journeys, you know, and you just, you didn't really, I didn't, when I set a goal to qualify for the trials, I didn't think about that at all, that like, this could, you know, I would, you know, so many other people would be a part of this. Uh, and my journey even, and I almost wouldn't even know it, you know? So it was, it was very therapeutic and, um, and yeah, there was a lot mostly, you know, that my, you know, this was about, you know, I wanted my kid that, you know, there was all these mothers out there and, uh, that, you know, one day, you know, they could be out there too. And, um, it wasn't, you know, you could be a mom mom and yourself and then all there's all these other people yelling for me and oh that's the mom of four you know but one day it won't even be like that because it'll be common and normal for women with four kids to run big races and and achieve high things and anyway yeah it was quite quite an emotional experience at the trials and also in the rambling runner that recap and I got emotional listening especially when you talked about your kids and being a mother and and exactly what you said about how one of your daughters commented about hey mom there's other moms here too and again I'm not a mother and it made me emotional and I I, I recognize how important that was for your kids to see that and I agree with you I hope that that isn't necessarily like a conversation topic later I mean I feel like it will always yeah. be kind of a conversation topic because it's still impressive but you're right if we don't single out the men like we do the women so I'm, yeah. I'm very glad you did that recap as emotional as it must have been thanks yeah it was I just yeah it was good I was glad to and, I, and at that moment I wanted to do it right after the trust because I knew like maybe I would be holding back and processing it differently a week from late you know that after the trials but if I did it right after the trials the emotions would be very raw and it would be very real you know and that's what is relatable right as athletes mothers women it's just real it's just real raw emotions so sarah nike supplied all the trials runners with a free pair of the new alpha fly shoes a similar model that was worn by Ilya kipchoge when he ran his sub two last year and the shoes are a little bit controversial since they fall just barely within the world athletics guidelines and i think that saturday was like the very first day anyone could buy them so i picked the shoes up but i opted not to race in them but you did so what did you think of them you know, so I, I tried them on and I thought, you know, this is super cool, right? The newest technology, the latest thing, you know, we'd be the first people really wearing these shoes in competition. And I thought to myself, you know what, I'm a risk taker. If they feel good, I'm just going to wear them because it would just be kind of like add to the excitement of the day uh, and the unknown, I guess, too. And so um, to be completely honest, it was almost too much shoe like i feel like going from um like a new balance shoe or any other shoe to the nike vaporfly there's a huge difference i notice a big difference in how i recover i, I, I like the spring in them when i run but going from the nike vaporfly to the alpha fly i really didn't notice that much of an additional benefit to be honest i just felt like the stack height was twice as high um and it was almost like okay at what point is 
it just rolled to continue to increase the stack height. And so I almost felt like they were a little bit heavier, which I didn't really like. It was almost too much of a good thing. So um, I thought they were fine for the day. I like them good enough, but I don't know that I prefer them over the Nike fly knit, which is what I've been wearing prior to those shoots, honestly. So yeah, so that's kind of my opinion is I'm like, eh, the fly knit, honestly, in my triathlon races and stuff uh, at this point. But I think they're really cool. They look neat, uh, they're, but they're just a little bit clunky, a little too much for me. I love that you felt the need that you could inject more excitement into the Olympic trials. <laughs> <laughs> No doubt I was wearing those shoes. I mean, I just like was like, this is gonna just add the amazing. That is truly amazing, Sarah. So Sarah, your February was like insane. You had the February of the century with the Olympic trials. You raced Challenge Monaco half distance and the Mesa Phoenix Marathon. So which you won, right? And so I mean, these are all like huge things all over the world, tons of travel involved with all of these things would you do it all again? And, you know, would you change something now that you can look back with hindsight as 2020 perspective? You know, I would not have changed anything, honestly. So going into Phoenix, which was the beginning of February, I was going to kind of do it as a long run. I already knew that I was going to do that as a long run in January. I just didn't know in what capacity and that's really, really good shape. And from one thing I know about the marathon is it is really, really tricky and it's really hard. And it had been a year and a half since I'd run a marathon. And it had been a year since I had run a PR. And because I knew the trials was going to be such a hard course, and I probably wouldn't be able to PR on that course, I secretly wanted that PR. <laughs> I wanted that PR, even if it meant running a marathon three weeks before the trials. So I really wanted to try to run sub 240. And I, when I started, you know, and, and in my mind, there was no pressure. Like if I didn't do it, so what, you know, and if I did it, great. So it was like, perfect. I put on my headphones and I was like, this is like a win-win for me. And um, the first few miles of that race, I knew like, oh yeah, I feel amazing. Like this is going to be my day, you know? And so I just barely did it though. I ran 239.59, and I was, but it was like, I ran a really good race and it was one of my, definitely one of my better efforts. And so I was really stoked that I did that because I mean, that was something running a 239 was something I never really thought I'd be able to do. So when I was training in January and I thought I might be capable of that, I was like, I'm going to take my shots when I have them because the marathon is just so tricky to get right it has everything like has to go perfectly on the day and I've run some good marathons but have run some really bad marathons and um so yeah I was I was excited and willing to take the risk because it had been so long since I had run a PR and had done that and then I went to you know Wanaka two weeks later and I felt pretty good um and I uh, I had a good race um I thought I had a very decent swim bike and run nothing was like super awesome I thought for myself but I thought it was all very solid and I'm really glad now of course that I had that opportunity now that we don't know when we're gonna race again and I got to go to New Zealand so yes yeah, so that was good and then I came back and ran the trials and my trials race wasn't stellar it wasn't what I had envisioned but I don't really know that it actually mattered a whole lot to me I mean I mean, it did, like, I mean, I wanted to run a, a really good trials race, but I wouldn't have not run, run Phoenix and not run Wanaka knowing I could have run a little bit better at the trials. Because for me, it was really more about the experience of the trials. And I had already been considering it as a victory lap anyway, because the course was so hard 
apart and I was seated in the middle of the pack. It's kind of felt like, you know, 10 years from now, I'm not even next week. I'm not going to care if I'm 30th place or 300, you know? And so, um, so yeah. And, and, and it really was the whole experience blew my mind. It was more than I could have ever imagined. So I'm really happy in hindsight too, now that the races are on hold for a while that I, that I did all of that in February. So it was, it was quite a challenge and, um, but it was really fun. We know you coach athletes, but do you yourself have a coach? You know what? I, I don't right now. So last, you know, I got injured. So I was training for Boston 29 or no, one year ago. So I was training for Boston to run in the elite field in 2019. And you know what? Uh, I was really just going through the motions. I had run 242. I had run 116 and a half. And I was satisfied. Like, I was like, I'm kind of satisfied with my running right now. The trials are in a year away. And I just wasn't, um, uh, it wasn't really exciting me. And so when I got injured that January, you know, a year ago, um, it was almost a relief. Like, I need to change gears. I need something that's going to excite me in training again. Because trying to train for a marathon right now just isn't like I don't you know running 240 at that point just wasn't that exciting for me because I knew how hard it was gonna be and I wasn't ready to like put in that training so I told my coach James I said so I'm gonna just cross train and I think I'm gonna do a triathlon like I said I think I'm gonna sign up for Ohio 70.3 which was in July and I said by that point you know I'm just gonna do it for fun and then, so I bought a bike and I kind of just was like, I'm just going to cross train. So don't, you don't need to coach me. And then um, when I started doing this myself, he really, he wanted to coach me for triathlon. And I was like, you know what? Just let me do this on my own. <laughs> and just trying to figure this out. And when I come back to running, then I'll stop triathlon and we'll, you know, we'll, you know, we'll train for the trials, but it never happened that way because I just kept, I got really excited about triathlon and I, you know, signed up for Chattanooga 70.3 and Steelhead 70.3. And I did Ohio 70.3 in Muncie and I was just having fun and I was getting better and, you know, I qualified for world age grouper and I got second there and then I got my pro card and I went and did a couple races as a pro. And so I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to do this by myself until and into a roadblock, a plateau, or I just decide that I'm ready for help. And part of that is because I'm scared. I am scared about what a coach is going to make me do. <laughs> because it's a lot of training, you know, you know, especially with the swim. And I am not ready for that. I am mentally don't want to swim right now. And so, so I like have to do this because in my way, or I'm not going to do it at all. And at some point, if I get so frustrated with my lack of improvement, then I'll get a coach to kick my ass. But right now, like, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to do. <laughs> I know that sounds so crazy, but I'm making good progress. I feel like, and I'm still having fun with it. And I'm just, like I said, just going to coach myself until I'm not doing as more. And, and that's what I look like running. I coached myself until 2017. And that's when I hired James because I was not, I, I hit a plateau. And then he helped me drop another six minutes and qualify for the trials. But I was ready at that point to put in the hard work to do 
that because I want to. But right now, I'm not at that point with triathlon, and I don't want to swim. So. <laughs> Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm just coaching myself and we'll see what happens. And the coaches are really um, quite firm on the, the swim distance swim yardage for the non-swimmers <laughs> like us. Um, I can speak from experience that there's not a lot of ways to get out of that until you yes, have like, a global pandemic, which closes all the pools, which I've never seen before. So I did want to ask you, given your running background, so you ran collegiately at Auburn University and you obviously have an extensive background in the marathon. So as you've started to, you know, figure out your training plan for Ironman, even if it ends up being a virtual one first, is your run training different compared to when you were preparing for the standalone marathon? That is a good question. So initially last year it was, my mileage was quite a bit lower. Um, And this is when I was training for the half distance. So I was running probably last year, 60 miles a week, which is still probably more than most elite runners or most elite triathletes run. I was biking a lot less, like only like six hours a week, but I was doing fine. And that's the way I preferred it. I'm still running and biking well, and my swim was okay, you know. So now that I'm training for Ironman, I'm still still probably doing a lot more running than most elite uh, triathletes and a lot less biking. Like I think just from what I've seen, you know, uh, it looks like, Pro triathletes tend to do like 10 to 15 hours of biking a week, you know, maybe six hours of running, but I'm doing like 10 hours of running a week and like seven or eight hours of biking. So it's about 50, 50. Um, um, I'll still try to do like, I'm building up to like a, you know, four hour ride at least once every other week. So I've done that a couple of times doing that well, but otherwise my rides are like, two hours or one hours and they're at half Ironman race, but two hours at half Ironman watts or one hour above half Ironman watts. So my cycling is like, it's all very, and the intensity is definitely there. I just don't do the volume, but the running, I do train very similarly to when I was training for the marathon. Actually, I am doing probably like 75 miles a week. I think for the marathon I'm doing more like 85 even 90 so it's a little little bit lower but I'm still doing um two hard workouts a week like I would do with the marathon training I am I am doing more like running off the bike now though so I'll do like when when I do bike I'll do a hard bike sometimes and then a hard run workout on a Wednesday or I'll do you know the hard bike like on a Friday and then a hard run right after that. So it's either in consecutive days or, you know, the hard bike is in the morning and the hard run is in the afternoon. And when I was training for the marathon, you know, I did, I, my, I was only biking a few hours a week just to keep up my miss on the bike a little bit. And it would always be in the afternoon. I always do my running first and the biking later. And, and I tell you, that's a big difference because now that I'm trying to get back into the cycling and ramp it up, like, man, my legs are tired. And so it's really get my running legs back, even though my mileage is still high because my, the cycling is making my legs so darn tired, but you got it. That's, that's the whole key is, you know, is legs fatigue resistance. So you can perform in the run closer, close to your run potential. And if you don't bike, I don't care how good of a runner you are. You ain't going to run well that bike, <laughs> you know? So it is, it's similar. It's, it's probably a lot closer to my full marathon training than most athletes would, would run or, you know, you know, would run. 
but yeah, that's just, I'm, I'm doing well off that. I prefer it like that. And, uh, I think more of a natural, honestly, probably more of a natural cyclist than I am runner. I think the cycle might, I might just be a little bit better naturally at cycling was afford to do less of it and concentrate on the run, which I'm running a marathon off the bike. It's going to be horrible. <laughs> I don't know how you guys do it. So I really am particularly the run because I want to run well, um, you know, run a good marathon, but I need to make sure my legs can handle it right off the bike. I think if you can handle the Atlanta marathon course, the trials course, you'll be just fine. Also, if you can handle that coming off of another marathon and Wanaka, I, I, you're actually going to come off and be like, oh, I can't believe Haley said that was going to be hard. Um, no, that's what I, that'd be my worry with you. But um, I think you're going to be, you'll be really happy to get on that run. I do yeah. want to ask just about what you're, you know, you've only been in the sport for like less than a year, but you, you know, you jumped in the pro ranks so quick. Has it been what you expected? You know, it's so funny. Um, I, at one point, like in 2014 or 15, I would do a half Iron Man. Just do it. You know, just because it seemed like a cool challenge. It seemed like super hard. You know, just something, nothing. I didn't think I would want to be competitive or continue that path. But I have to tell you, I was definitely a triathlon hater. <laughs> you know, like those people you know like whatever they're like what is it the jack of all trades master of none <laughs> you know what i mean i thought it was like that and um so you know when i got into it though man i just thought this is so fun i love the challenge of training for three different it never really gets bored because you can train for you know three different things at once just there's no monotony in it i feel like like running very monotonous, you know, but three different things and how to put them together correctly and try to get all three pieces right is just so much fun to me. And then the other part of it is that even in a swim, that you can still have a really good bike and a really good run, you know, like, so there's always something that can go right. Uh, whereas in a race, it's a marathon, like when you start going south, man, it goes bad quickly and there's just no turning around you know but you can turn it around in a half Ironman in a full Ironman you know in the next discipline and for me the most fun thing about it is I might come out and I did this a lot last year 80th in the water and as an age grouper that I'm like get up to fifth place on the bike and then you know move into like second on the run you know <laughs> just thought this is the best way to race it only gets better for me as I go so it's just been a lot more fun for me than I thought and I just love it so yeah I'm after the trials like I knew like I was all in gonna go triathlon because this is like just totally my cup of tea I really like them like I said the mix of training and the challenge and I think that the further I go the better I am um so so yeah uh like I said I had a definitely different perspective before I even started even when I was starting like ah, I'm just gonna try this you know I've totally gotten suckered in I love it <laughs> and Sarah I'm sure listeners who are listening um are able to kind of pick up on a big part about you, which is your confidence. And so, you know, like you really own, you're not afraid to take risks and, you know, wear the shoes that you want to wear for the Olympic trials, marathons and these things. Have you always been so confident in following your own path or like any turning points in your life where you've had to kind of like own that decision to be this confident? 
That is a really good question. So, you know, I'm not like this. I didn't feel like for a lot of my life. I have an identical twin sister. And so we were very athletic growing up, but she was always better than me in a lot of things. And so, so yeah, so I always felt like uh, kind of spittle. Um, and so for a long time, I didn't run after college. I uh, just kind of took a break. And then I had kids and I wanted this up because I think this is an important part of who I am today. So in having my kids, Brian and I uh, had infertility issues. And so I went through six IVF treatments in four years. And it was just IVF after IVF after IVF. And I got pregnant six times and I miscarried three times. And once I miscarried, I miscarried twins before I had my twins. And so it was absolutely the hardest thing I've ever been through in my entire life from an emotional and mental standpoint. And I really think that changed me. Like, I felt like after that experience, I felt like I could do anything. Like I could just, if you can survive, like, you know, miscarriages and IVF treatments for four years straight, you know, it's hard to talk about even it's, you know, but I think it's good to bring something like that up. Cause I know that a lot of women in the same boat have gone through that. And we don't talk about it a whole lot. So anyway, after I had my kids and I got into running, I just felt like, you know, this is something I want to do for me is get back into running again. And it was just one of those things where I just honestly felt like, you know, running is easy compared to any of that stuff, doing these workouts and um, doing what I'm doing. This is nothing compared to what I've been through. And I think that the confidence definitely just grew over time as I started training and work and running and realized you know, we, we like to put limitations on ourselves. All of us do like, Oh, I could never do that. Like I could never do what she's doing. Like, look at that. Like how fast she's running or what she's doing. But I started to recognize there's like a direct relationship between the work you put in and what you get out of it. I thought, well, if I can, I started to realize like, if I can train like these women, then I can get probably pretty close to what they're doing. I mean, there's always that little bit of, you know, there's always that level of talent involved, but you'd be, I was so surprised with how close I could get, you know, that level that I thought I could never do just by hard work, you know, just by doing what they're doing, you know? And so when I recognized that, really started becoming more confident in what I could do because I recognized like there's a direct relationship. If I can train and work really hard, just like they're doing, you know, I could, I, I could be in the game, you know, in, in the game. And, and that's what I like to kind of projecting my athletes. They come the same way. Like I can never do that. Like, I don't think I'm like, well, yeah, you can do it, but this is what you're going to have to get there. You need to run 50 miles a week and do a couple. And then they, and they do it. They rise to the occasion and then they like shock themselves with how they can perform because, and they never thought that they were capable of that. But I know like what well, you put in the work and you did what it takes, you know, you've got to do what it takes, you know, like that we're not capable just for lots of other reasons. We don't look like them. We don't have the time, this and that. But, you know, um, when you start to recognize the relationship between the training and the performance, you can go really far. So I think that that's just that, you know, after I qualified for the trials, that's what I thought I never could ever thought I could do. I started looking at triathlon, looking at results and seeing a relationship with, you know, run biking times and thinking, well, you know what? maybe I could do okay. And that's something I never would have considered before if I hadn't had the success I had with the marathon just based on, you know, training hard, you know? And I thought, well, well, let's just see what happens, you know? So it's definitely something that is involved over time, like I said, and just been eye-opening knowing that 
you know, hard work can take you way farther than you would think. Well, we're sure glad that you decided to see what could happen and gave it a try. <laughs> so Sarah, where, where can our listeners find you online? Maybe follow your virtual race, get to know you, cheer from you from afar. Where should they go? Um, so my Instagram account is at Sarah Bishop runs pretty active on there. And then I also have, um, a website, www.sarahbishopruns.com. But the Instagram site is good. I, uh, I'm pretty active and put at least a few times a week. Well, thank you so much for coming on and best of luck. And we will chat with you soon. Maybe we'll be commentating your race. <laughs> Thank you so much, Alison Haley. It's good to talk to you guys again. This is Haley, and I've spent most of my swimming career squinting at pace clocks or trying to catch a glimpse of my watch during intervals. If you're like me and love knowing your swim splits but hate finding a clock, there's a better way. Form Swim Goggles are the first premium goggles with a smart display that shows your metrics while you swim. You heard that right. Form goggles have a see-through display in one of the eye cups so you can see your splits, pace, distance, or any other metric right in front of you. I've done a few workouts with the Form Swim goggles and the coolest thing is once you press start, the goggles actually know when you're swimming and when you're resting. There's no need to press another button until you finish your workout. Want to learn more? Head to formswim.com. Haley, I really appreciated Sarah sharing her struggles and her story with um, her journey to have children and IVF and everything that went along with it, because I think you and I can both relate that we're at this age where a lot of our friends are going through periods of time similar to that. And I'm sure like I hope at least that hearing her story will be kind of a message of hope for people and just kind of reassuring. It's not something that's talked about in the public sphere quite often right now. We are super thankful and appreciative of Sarah for coming on and sharing such personal personal stories and just so much of her journey. And I'm excited to see it unfold because I, she is just getting started. Um, and Alyssa, just to reiterate, we do want our listeners to make sure they check out that contest, our Pimp My Pain Cave Live Feisty Contest, $3,400 worth of prizes, nine different winners, amazing, pri- you know, Wahoo Kicker, Wetsu, Goggles, shoes, sunglasses, there's everything in there. So check it out at the Live Feisty Media Instagram page or uh, in our show notes. All you have to do is enter your email and, but it only goes through April 13th, which is four days from now. So from when this comes out, so don't delay. And tomorrow there is a feisty happy hour Friday, 5 p.m. Pacific time with the feisty boss, Sarah Gross herself. So Everyone, make sure you request some information on joining that. Request the link, all the Zoom information, all that good stuff. And we'll see you there. All right, Haley, have a good week. Bye, Alyssa. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women podcast is a live feisty media production.